Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. All right, so if you have your Bibles out, you can turn to Amos or Amos. Chapter 6. When I was uh, 10 years old, I had a knife that I didn't think was sharp enough, so I decided to sharpen it on my own and ended up, as I was sharpening, I slipped and I cut my hand. And I looked at my hand and I thought, oh good, I didn't cut myself. And then I made a fist and I could see my knuckle. And I thought, this isn't good. And then a, a minute or so later began to bleed. Uh, and bleed profusely. And 13 stitches later, I, I have a scar that I still have now across two of my fingers. And a lot more respect for knives. I have great respect for a sharpened up blade. I'm a lot more careful than I used to be. It was easy for me to be complacent about it because that I wasn't aware of the danger, the risk that I was dealing with. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in chapter 6 and 7. God really talks to the Israelites about their complacency because they did not realize the danger they were facing. And we are seeing that same complacency in the U.S. today. Barner Research, who does a lot of surveys regarding Christianity and and world religions, found that 40% of Christians, American Christians, don't attend church or read the Bible in a typical week. 40% of people who claim to be Christians, so almost half, don't go to church on a typical week, don't read the Bible on a typical week. 30% were not actually 100% committed to the faith. That means they didn't actually believe everything that's in the Bible. 70% are not involved in some small group, like our connection group. 70% aren't involved in that. There's a complacency, there's a lack of carefulness going on right now, and it, and it fits what's going on here with Amos chapter 6. First, first verse, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Now Zion is Jerusalem. So he's saying, woe, as in, uh, it's a lament, it, it's, it's to, to express sorrow for those who are at ease in Zion and those who feel secure on the hill of Samaria, the notable people in this first of the nations, those the house of Israel comes to. 
They were, so Amos was saying the prophet of God was telling the Israelites, warning those who were being complacent, and we've seen some of that, we're going to see some more of it. What does it mean? I've been talking about complacent. What does that mean to be complacent? To be complacent is to be pleased with your situation without realizing the danger that you're in. A complacent man could be uh, one who I was complacent a lot as, as a child. I mentioned the knife, right? Well, I, I often would do tricks or jump off roofs or, or I might tricks on my bike. And I would end up with stitches and, and scars and stuff. Yes, Robert? No. Uh, parkour did not exist, at least as, uh, as far as I know. I was complacent. I didn't realize the danger that I was in. And there's really three different types of complacent people that we're going to find. Complacent Christians. There's three types of complacent Christians, and I'm going to explain each of them. First off, there's the unconcerned. There, it's foolish and dangerous to be care, careless about your own spiritual condition. You're unconcerned. You're not bothered about it. And that's what the Israelites were, that's where they were at, and that's where we need to be careful about. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 16 Jesus tells a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you are prepared, whose will they be? And that's how it is for the one who stores treasure up for himself and is not rich toward God. They're, they're unconcerned. They're focused entirely on the things of this world and not paying attention to eternity. That rich man that Jesus talked about, he was all about his personal wealth but he did nothing to prepare his heart for meeting God. The second type of uh, uh, complacent Christian that we see is the inactive Christian. Inactive. They, they don't care about the souls of others. They, they don't put any forth any effort or pay any price to help others, to encourage others. Everybody that you know and meet and come across will one day stand before God. 
and they will either go to heaven or they will go to hell. Everybody. And, and, and the active, an active Christian is unconcerned with that. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. Another parable of Christ. For it is like a man going on a journey. He called his own servants and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents of money. To another two and to another one. Each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received the five talents went Put them to work and earn five more. The same way the man who earned two earned two more. And the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But his master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew what I, that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have at least deposited my money with the bankers, and in my return I would have received my money back with interest. You see, this Jesus gives parable where the servant was inactive. He didn't do anything. He didn't try. He just went through the motions and just floated through life. And God is going to hold you accountable if you do that. He was complacent. The third uh, type of complacent Christian is the comfortable. Christian, the comfortable Christian. This this person uh, is comfortable where he is at in his life and, and comfortable with his condition of his heart. There's no motivation to be more like Christ, no motivation to do what's right, just continue on doing what he's been doing. I, I, I went through the motion. I said all the words. So I'm, I have my ticket to heaven, and, and I go to church once in a while, and I may give a dollar once in a while. And so I'm happy with that. I'm comfortable with that. They're comfortable with sin. Sin is not hated. Sin isn't hated. But if you understand the real danger of sin, it gets easier to hate it. Um, did you know that 
I, I was think, th- thinking about this reminded me about friends that I know and even famous people that I know whose par- parents, usually their dad, is an alcoholic. They don't want anything. They usually don't want anything to do with alcohol. I have nephews in, like that. And I, I have brothers-in-law like that and, and um, cousins. And, and, and like I said, famous. I know Dr. Phil. I know he's like that. He doesn't drink at all. I wouldn't consider him a religious man by any means. But he doesn't drink at all because his dad was an alcoholic. He saw the danger of that. But see, sin is sin because it's dangerous. Did you know that sin destroys and it steals and it kills? Sin destroys reputations and and respect. That is a story about a a guy that was in charge, uh, an American Christian who was in charge of translating the Bible into Chinese, and he was over in China working with a, 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 a man from China. And uh, this, this man was, um, he was a, I don't know if it was Hindu or, he wasn't Christian by any means. And after they got to the end of their project, the man, this American asked, asked this Chinese man if he, would, if he had thought about it, they considered becoming a Christian. And the man responded, well, if I ever met a Christian, I think I would seriously consider it. And he's like, well, I'm a Christian. The Chinese man looked at him, you? But the Bible says that you're not supposed to lust, and I've seen you lust after other women. The Bible says you're not supposed to get drunk, and I've seen you get drink so much sake that, that you start stumbling around in drunkenness. You're not a Christian. See, sin destroys. Now, reputation is one of those things. Destroys relationships. Destroys joy. It steals joy from our lives. And it kills. Ultimately, it kills our souls. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That's how dangerous sin is. And those who are complacent in that, they're comfortable with sin in their lives. They don't see the motivation. They don't see the fire. It's, it really it kind of like is a, a person who is in their house and they realize their house is on fire. And someone who's in their house and, and doesn't realize it's on fire. Two different men, right? The first man, what, what's the first guy going to do? Get out of his house, right? As quickly as possible. The house is on fire. He might raise the alarm. Fire, fire. Everybody get out. Save yourselves. Doesn't know it. Just sits there. He ends up dying in the fire. Because they didn't realize how dangerous it was. This, the, today's uh, passage is all about a warning to those who are complacent. Verse 3 here, you dismiss any thought of the evil day and bring in a rain 
of violence. Now, what's that all about? It's saying God was trying to warn them that judgment is coming, that they're going, they're, they're going to lose their city, their city is going to be burned to the ground, that a lot of people are going to be killed, and those who survive are going to become slaves of the conquering people if they didn't change their ways and turn to God, and they ignored it. They didn't give it a second thought. And in so doing, they were bringing in this violence because if they had turned back to God, God would not have brought judgment upon them. For one thing, I know that for two reasons. For one, in earlier chapters we talked about that, and God said if, if you repent, that he would not bring forth judgment. Also, we know that from the story of Jonah. Who remembers the story of Jonah? You kids remember the story of Jonah? Jonah and the whale? Okay. Yeah. I won't tell the whole story, but let's skip to the end. Jonah is finally doing what God wanted him to do, and he goes and preaches to this evil city called Nineveh. Nineveh was evil. Lots of bad things were happening in there, including idol worship and, and just horrible things. And, and, and Jonah went there to preach to them and say, look, you don't turn from your ways. God's going to bring judgment upon you. He's going to destroy your city. And, and if, you need to read the story. It's a, short, it's a short book in the Bible. Yes. Yep. So the people of Nineveh, they repented. These evil people, they, they were cut to the heart. Like, oh, we did terrible things. God, we're sorry. And they, and, and they did, a lot of ancient people, they would wear burlap and put ash on their head, you know, as, part, as, as a way to express grief. And, and so they were doing all that and, and, and expressing their grief to God for, for their sin. And God did not bring judgment upon them. I think it's an important concept. See, complacent people think that God's judgment will never come. I, have, I, I, I know I need to get my heart right with God, but I have time. I, I'll do it tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, but not right now. I've got too much going on. And so they put it off and put it off. They don't see the danger. And then eternity comes over and over again. And my, my grandfather was a preacher. He was an evangelist. So he would go and preach revival services to churches. Go to a church and preach for a week. Maybe we can have a revival sometime. We haven't had one in several years. But he would, I say that because he had lots of stories who people, of people who sat in the pews and said, I know I need to get my heart right with God, but not now. And they left the church and they went out and they were launched into eternity. Car accidents, sickness, whatever it was. 
Lots of story has lots of stories like that. It happens all the time. The complacent people think that God's punishment will never come. Verse four: They lie on beds with ivory, sprawled on their couches, and dine on lambs from the flock and calves from the stall. Boy, they live it up, don't they? You know, there's uh, we got Thanksgiving coming up, don't we? And and Butterball, the company, they're known for their Butterball turkeys. They have a hotline. They've had a hotline for decades. You can call with your your turkey cooking related questions or emergencies. And and one year they got a call from a lady who asked about whether or not she should should cook this turkey. She had this turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. Yes, is it okay to cook it? And they answered, well, as long as the freezer was below zero degrees, I, the turkey itself should be okay. But it's probably lost some of its flavor. And she said, I thought so. We'll just give it to the church. See, the, the, the verse here talking about people who are living in lavish lifestyles with no concern for others, they were guilty of selfishness. I've been guilty of that. I don't know about you. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song about uh, obtaining joy, and we spell it out, it's Jesus and others than you, and it's absolutely true. That's how you obtain joy in your life, is to put Jesus first, then others, and then yourself last. Living an unselfish life brings joy to you. But often, if we're selfish, we're we're always going for what we want. We want to get our own way. We want everything to be on our terms, even God, even serving God. It must be on our terms, Lord. I'll come to you when when I choose to. And if you convict me of something in my life, I may or may not give it up. It all all depends on on how it serves me. That's a selfish attitude, and God doesn't play those games. Uh, Verse 6, they drink wine. My, My translation says bowlful. Another translation has bucketful. They drink wine by the bucketful. They drink a lot of wine. And anoint themselves with the finest oils. Compare that to what Mary did. She went and bought the most expensive oils to anoint herself. No, to anoint Jesus. We spend all this money on ourselves. Selfishness. They drink wine by the bowlful and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. The ruin of the condition of their people. 
There was no, no concern for the spiritual condition nor for hardships of others. There were people who were suffering, they were starving, and they didn't care. And God said in verse 7, Therefore they will now go into exile as the first of the captives. And the feasting of those who sprawl out will come to an end. God was very unhappy with these people who were making themselves rich and living a lavish lifestyle at the expense of others. They were, they were by the way, for those of you who haven't been here in a few weeks, they, they made themselves rich by selling people. They were selling slaves. And, and they were exacting uh, taxes and fines which, which were not appropriate. And so they were taking advantage of the poor. And so that's, that made themselves rich and God was very unhappy with them. And verse 8 says, the Lord God has sworn by himself. This is the declaration of the Lord, the God of hosts. I hate Jacob's pride and hate his citadels. So I will hand over the city and everything. God hated the pride of the people of Israel. Is there anything in your life that God hates? You need to fix it. Notice verse 13. He's quoting the people of Israel saying, didn't we capture name for ourselves by our own strength. What is that all about? They were prideful that they had beat somebody in battle and they gave all the glory to their own strength. They didn't give God any glory at all. Oh, we were tough enough. We beat them on our own. Reality is we have nothing to boast about. Verse 14, but look, the very next verse, but look, I am raising up a nation against you, Israel. God's telling them to pay attention, and God demands that of us now, to pay attention to what he's trying to tell you today. So Amos continues, verse or chapter 7, we see that God told Amos what he was going to do. And God told Amos he was going to bring locusts to, to eat all the crops. And Amos prayed for the people of Israel, and God said it will not happen. And then God showed Amos that he's going to bring a judgment by fire. I'm going to burn everything up. And, and Amos prayed for the people of Israel. And God said, I will not do it. I think what we can learn from these two, these, this passage, verses 1 through 6, is that praying for others affects, impacts their lives. 
I hope you're taking time to pray for others. I hope you're taking time to pray for me. I need it. I need all the prayer I can get. I hope you're praying for one another, praying for your spouse, praying for your kids. I hope you're praying for your kids' spouses. Their future spouses. You should be praying for them now. When Shina was five years old, I began praying for her husband. Didn't know who it was. But I began praying. I prayed that he would love the Lord more than anything else. And I still pray for him. We need to intercede for each other. Notice that verse 7, God shows Amos another thing. So he showed me this. The Lord was standing there by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a plumb line. And the Lord said, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I know will no longer spare them. You know what a plumb line is? Anybody? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a weight on the end of a string. And it tells you how straight something is. That's a plumb line. It's been used for thousands of years. God used this thousands of years ago with Amos to show him. What was God sh- was showing Amos? That God was showing his, he's holding up his standard. God has a standard of behavior that he expects us to follow. It's not difficult. It's not hard. We just keep surrendering to him. That's all he expects. But he expects that. And if, if, we, if we don't meet that standard, judgment is coming. You notice that God's standards of moral behavior don't change. It's still wrong to steal and to kill. Destroy, it's still wrong to commit adultery and, and dishonor your parents. It's still wrong to worship anything other than God. When I was a staff sergeant, I was in Africa. And uh, I was in charge of, of two helicopters. I had two airmen who worked for me. And we had a helicopter come back from a, a mission. And I'm not sure, I don't remember why, but I, I, was, I, I was one catching the helicopter. That's what we called it, where you marshal it in, you hook up and help it shut down and everything. You're watching everything as it shuts down. Normally an airman would be doing that, but I was doing that this time. And I always asked them, like when I connected my communication, because I had the headset on, I always asked the pilot, how how did she fly? And they talked about vibrations. And I was like, okay, here we go. Because there's this thing. So helicopters shake. There's a lot of spinning stuff to it. And, and a thing we call ghost vibrations, where 
you f- I think I felt something there. You feel a vibration, and you ask somebody else if they feel it, and they think they feel it too. But it's all imaginary. And that's what I was thinking. But as the rotor blades slowed down to where I could see them, I could see that one rotor blade had this gigantic gash in it, and it was almost torn off. And the very next blade, there was a giant, it wasn't as bad, but there was also a big gash in that blade. I thought, whoa, a tear, um, a gouge. I thought, whoa, I think I found your vibration. What had happened was the rotor head, where all the blades are connected to, has weights on it that helps balance it, like the weights you put on a car tire to balance the wheel. We do the same thing with helicopters. We put weights on it to balance the rotor head as it spins. A, I'm sorry? No, the... the, the if you think of the rotor head as a wheel and the blades are connected to that rotor head, it's spinning around. It has a big bearing on it, yeah. Just like all wheels have bearings. Um, but the weight, which can be anywhere from a pound to nine pounds, broke off and smacked into those blades. Smacked into titanium blades with such force that one blade almost came completely off. And this happened as they were coming down for the final landing. They were coming back from a nine-hour flight, mostly over water. They almost died. Yeah. They almost died. The whole crew, five people, almost died. And so we looked into, you know, how did this happen? And we found out that we had the wrong hardware holding the weights. And they did uh, an inspection over the entire fleet in the Air Force and found 75% of the helicopters had the wrong hardware on the rotor head. Yes, 53. And so when we work on helicopters, we use these things called technical orders, these books called technical orders. When you look at the technical orders for the rotor head, there's nothing in there about using a specific type of hardware. But if you went to another technical order that was just about hardware, you found something about it saying that a certain type of hardware had to be used for the rotor head. So they updated the technical order so that didn't happen again. We, in a way, had become complacent because we thought, oh, we have everything under control. 
We don't need to look at all the TOs. We just need to look at certain TOs and we'll have all the information that we need. And we didn't. And someone almost died because of it. We have a TO, our own, for our Christian life, a technical order for our Christian life. It's called the Bible. But instead of thousands and thousands of pages and, and, and dozens and dozens of volumes, we just have to worry about one book. And God expects us to read this book and study it and learn it and apply it to our life. We have no excuse to become complacent because if you become complacent, it could mean your souls. So we need to, we don't want to just be happy. See, what happened in the Air Force in that situation, we were happy with just having part of the truth. Don't be happy with just having part of the truth. Get the whole story. Get the whole truth. That way you're ready. That way you're prepared. Because sin is dangerous. And God is loving and merciful, but He's also just. And He's good. And He's not going to let, uh, let sin continue. I encourage you all as we close out today to be careful. Be careful in your walk with God. Pay attention. Make smart decisions. And just give everything to the Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, servantsheartchapel.com. Org. Um, we also have a Facebook page, so you're welcome to check us out. I'd love to hear from you, prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.